In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien, brought to you by SOS Global Express. So today, folks, we're in the green room with a man who's been in the industry well over 30 years. He's worked with an immense bunch of artists from Swing Out Sister to Nina Cherry, to the Waterboys, Johnny Marr, Placebo, Craig David, Richard Ashcroft, Morrissey, Duffy, the Stone Roses, Royal Blood, and currently working with Arctic Monkeys since 2011, I believe. He's a tour manager. He's an industry legend and veteran, and he's here in the green room having a conversation with myself. His name is Steve Chapman. Steve, welcome to the green room. Hey, Bob. Lovely to see you. Lovely to hear you. That's such such a, a list of artists. I had to actually write it down before I forget one or two of them. I went and put the kettle on when you started. <laughs> there's there's a few more there as well. I mean, there's Mary Wilson from the Supremes. Yeah. There's um, Sneaker Pimps. There's Bernard Butler. Cake the Presidents of the United States of America. Would you give us a bit of background on how you started? Well, I went to school. Um, one of my best friends at school from five years old was a guy called Andrew Stammers. And he changed his name to Stan Stammers in the late 70s. And uh, he was a bass player. Eventually, he became uh, a member of uh, Theatre of Hate. Stan asked me, late 82, if I'd like to go uh, on, on tour with them and join up. They had one other backline guy called Flea. So that was my start, doing backline, setting up drum kit and um, eventually working as a stage manager and production manager. So Steve, we worked together on Franz Ferdinand in 2010 and we toured with Franz Ferdinand and we had some great laughs on that. But, but around then, you were doing some comedy tours as well. You were tour managing comedy artists. Yeah, it was actually well before then. So, yeah, the comedy thing hasn't been for quite a few years, but uh, that was early 90s, really. The first one uh, I worked, worked on was Newman and Baddiel, and they came from a, a radio show called Mary Whitehouse Experience, and it um, transformed into a, you know, they were a double act. They had a couple of TV series, and then it eventually went on the road. And, um, you know, it was smaller venues, but, really popular into uh, then into theatres and eventually into like civic halls city halls and uh culminating in Wembley Arena in uh, which I think was the end of 93 mm. and um that's the first one after that I worked with people like Leon Herring Frank Skinner and uh you know my absolute favorite Harry Hill absolutely incredible guy I see. That's where that's where you must have picked up your humour for, is it? Well, I I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> Your tour manager for Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, I've worked with Arctic Monkeys since uh, 2011. Uh, the, that album was Suck It and See, and I've so I've worked with three albums in total with Arctic Monkeys and one um, album of Alex Turner's sideband, The Last Shadow Puppets. So, um, you know, we were in conversations about things possibly happening in 2021. Um, but I think I would say definitely the, the coronavirus has put any plans for, for, for any band back. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I'm also, I was meant to be uh, on the road with uh, Royal Blood right now, actually, and we were leaving for charlotte north carolina on wednesday but uh, that got cancelled pretty quick actually 
and I think it'll be it'll be more 2021 before we start seeing anything. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Mm. Steve, tell me about your um, you have a hobby. You've had a hobby on the road for uh, a long time, but uh, you've recently uh, I'm not going to say take it up full time, but you you're you're spending a lot of time on your hobby these days. Yeah, that's that's right, Bob. And I'm a uh... I always enjoyed art at school and my dad was an architect and uh, we were always drawing and uh, my wife is an artist, portraiture artist. And so, yeah, it's never stopped really. So always had a sketchbook with me on, on tour. And um, so now I have a studio at, at home, um, which is a beautiful and fortunate thing. So definitely now I'm spending every day, I'm in there and uh, creating bits of art and I'm really enjoying it. And I, I would say it's the main thing that is um, helping this time pass by uh, really nicely and smoothly. I'm really enjoying it. Can you talk to me about changes in trends on tour, uh, connectivity? I'm very interested to see how people manage that and what people do on tour as opposed to, you know, your social media platforms and WhatsApp and yeah. books itineraries. Yeah, well, I mean, without Excel, I don't think, um, you know, the industry would run half as well as it does. So always messing around with that, with budget sheets and um, pl planning. But connectivity, I mean, now it seems to be the optimum. Will it get any better? Of course it will, but to what? We don't know. But, I mean, WhatsApp is the game changer. And I heard, I heard Rebecca Travis mentioned about WhatsApp with the day sheets and, and the different uh, setting up different groups. And that's exactly what I do. And it's just instant communication. You know that people have read it. And uh, it's a great way of getting information around to people. Um, itineraries can be attached to it, PDFs, pictures, locations, maps. You can even do the uh, location live for, for arrivals to a venue, for your security team your production team um, they know where you are they know you've left the airport or you've left the hotel it's a fantastic app do you do uh, do you continue with tour books these days or is it necessary these days to have a tour itinerary do you do it all electronically yeah so i create a, a tour itinerary um, it's the very basic information of what's happening on that day the addresses if you're in a hotel or not there's really not a lot of other detail. I do flights in like a grid at the front end of any tour book. Uh, they do get a mention on the page, but that's a lot of information that changes a lot. So really, it's not worth putting too much in an itinerary. And I send that round at the front, front end, and um, it's not long before someone's on email, text, or phone to tell me about a spelling mistake. But, uh, it's just good to know that some things don't change. <laughs> it's like uh, there's an ongoing story of uh, a good friend of ours actually who's toured with us and every so often he tends to like if he thinks I'm having a bad day he tends to stick his head in and just say hey is there a, po is there a pool at the hotel tomorrow <laughs> no <laughs> because he, he lad is like because it doesn't say so in the itinerary yeah. is there a pool at the hotel tomorrow <laughs> I, think I know who you're talking about there <laughs> Mr Mark Pierce. <laughs> Dave, we've talked about this over the time. Uh, 
uh, from a funny, humorous point of view. But I have to ask you, what's, what's the most annoying habit you've noticed about anybody on tour, an ongoing bad habit or anything in specific? Well, the short answer to that, Bob, is everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I say I've always been conscious about hygiene on tour buses. And when someone isn't hygienic, I'm annoyed by that. Steve, I listed such an array of artists there and bands and artists you've worked with over the years. There has to be so many standout moments. Anything come to mind? With Morrissey, he had a five-night run at the Harlem Apollo in 2004, which was... And I'd just started work with him about six weeks earlier. And that first night, well, all of the nights, but the first night he walked on stage, just absolutely incredible. Uh, in that particular venue, that part of New York City. So Harlem Apollo for Morrissey, I mean... Mexico in, um, I forget the name of the venue, but it's, uh, oh, it's in it? the round, the 12,000. We go there with Franz Ferdinand. E, I, I think that's the venue I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, I forget it. But that was spectacular. I mean, his fans in South America uh, are something else. But in Mexico, 12,000 people are. I don't think I've experienced anything like that before. So very, very special. I mean, the same with Arctic Monkeys, some spectacular shows. Uh, we were in Mexico City, actually, two years ago. Something like 60,000 people. Unbelievable show. I mean, those people sang every word of every song. And when you're, when you're near, it's another thing, the effort to get, to get everything down there, the freight, the people, the flights, the communications to make these things happen. And it's all worthwhile. It, it just feels all worthwhile, doesn't it? What a feeling it is. I've said this before, most of the stuff that uh, I've done, I've been, uh, you know, I've been privileged to, to, to hang out and mix it and trust and be trusted by uh, an immense bunch of people. Absolutely. Nearly, nearly almost down to every person that I've been with. I think the same well, I, I had um, a surprise phone call from um, the manager of Spear of Destiny just two days ago, actually, Terry Razor. Um, frightening name, let alone the fact he's from Paisley and he's got scars on his face. <laughs> but I tell you what, that man um, took me under his wing in 1983 and he, 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 he saw something in me, whatever it was, the trust, the faith. And without him, you know, it, I, I wouldn't be in this business, which I really love, or doing what I do and living the life I live, which is um, I'm enjoying, without Terry Razor, really. I mean, it started with Stan, but Terry, and we had a fantastic conversation. I mean, he's got a really, really broad uh, Paisley Glasgow accent. And, and even after all these years, it's sometimes difficult, but it was just so brilliant to hear from him. It's been about 15 years, actually. And um, I took the moment to tell him that uh, all, all of those things I just said, just to thank him for, because now I'm older, I can see what he did and why he did it. And at the time I didn't really think about it. It was just like day-to-day -day living and just being young, but um, very special man, uh, an innovator. He was at the forefront of punk rock. Um, merchandising he worked at stiff records when it first began late 70s you know just before madness were even signed to stiff he's he's a pioneer an innovator 
and an incredible man, a very wise and incredible man. So really, I'm telling that story um, to sort of tie in with the trust and faith thing because yeah. he had it for me. And I think you must have had it. Someone took you under their wing to teach you uh, various things and, and protocols and certain uh, ways things are done manners-wise on the road. There, there are, it's a different thing, isn't it? And it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've had some uh, fantastic uh, uh, people sort of look out for me along the way. Uh, a huge one for me was uh, Phil McDonnell from uh, Horizon yeah. in CSUK. I met Phil McDonnell at a Thin Lizzy reunion gig. Uh, I, think, I think it was 1990 or 91. And uh, Phil got in contact with me about a week after that and just said, oh, I just, I spotted you the other day and I spotted something in you and uh, I want to know, would you come out on tour and uh, work on Clannad Irish Band, mm -hmm. which I did. And uh, that was the start of a, an amazing, fantastic relationship since then. Yeah. And Phil's always looked out for me and he's all, I mean, we've, we're working together now and on the freight side of things. Um, and he's just looked out for me every step of the way and given me advice. And uh, always, just always, you know, when you when you go touring, your head's down and you're buried in the bubble. He always seemed to get in touch, just kind of at the right time to check in on you. How are you doing? You know, if you were finding something difficult, yeah. especially things like how home life was, and yeah. you know, was I looking out for the family and stuff like that. So I know exactly what you mean. I think everybody, everybody in the industry's got somebody, at least one person like that. Yeah, definitely. Favourite part of touring? One of the big favourite parts. I, I love the camaraderie and the friendships and, and definitely the, the laughs and the humour. When a group of people with the same mindset are all together to create something and make something happen. And when that thing happens, that's the feeling. And it sort of goes back to what I said earlier about those shows in Mexico yeah. or, or, or anywhere in the world. I mean, just to backtrack on that, Seoul in South Korea, been there four times to that festival absolutely incredible that audience there blown away by that place and what their punters are like yeah so the collective idea of, of something coming together bob i mean that's the beautiful thing and being with people and just making something happen i love all of that and the social side of it uh, i love traveling still love it and hope we can get back to it sometime soon how do you see us coming out of the crisis steve i don't think we'll be doing much until a vaccine exists. I don't think audiences, punters, artists or crew, it's gonna take a long time to get people back to wanting to be in large groups. And I, I actually think this time next year, so springtime 2021, if, if we're lucky. Is there a most outrageous rider? you've seen or prepared? I've seen some good ones. Um, I remember reading one, I forget, it was an American band, asked for the skeleton of a rhesus monkey in each dressing room, which I thought was very funny, very clever, and, and a good laugh. I think uh, they, they would be lucky if they ever got one. So I thought that that was funny. <laughs> I mean, I used to work with Placebo, and their alcohol rider I've never seen anything like it, and I know I never will. The absolute vodka arrives, at, you know, wholesale. It's in a small box of six, 
Well, there was two of those boxes in their dressing room on top of, um, well, these are the ones I can remember, Campari, Shinzano, Havana Club, seven-year-old, um, Gordon's Gin, no end bottles of uh, Clico. The list was endless and endless and cocktails, brandy was on there, but the buses and wine, so much wine, but uh, the buses at the end of the night all had uh, fully stocked beers and a dozen bottles of wine. I mean, that was, that was extensive. Is there a most interesting time or period you've had on tour? The, the placebo touring was hardcore, hardcore touring, lots of shows, uh, so much uh, long distance travel, global back-to-backs, incredible stuff we made happen. You know, it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, uh, LA, Auckland, back-to-back and all, all these things. And what a great challenge. And when those shows work out, so, you know, that was late 90s into the 2000s for all, for all those things. I, I've really enjoyed the last 10 years, which have encompassed my time working with Arctic Monkeys. So much has been accomplished uh, on those tours, not just for the band, but we have a fantastic crew and I've enjoyed that. And over that same period, I've worked with uh, a lot of other clients as well, but the, the last uh, decade has... A lot of time has been spent with Arctic Monkeys, which has been very special. So, yeah, the last 10 years. When you're flying, uh, aisle or window seat? I prefer an aisle seat, Bob. Mm. Um, that's not to discount the, um, the upstairs window seat on the 747. That's a great seat. You've got the sill there. You've got a nice storage cabinet. But really, my real answer... To, to that question is, where I sit on a plane, Bob, there isn't an aisle or a window. <laughs> in fact, as you say that, I, I, I'm remembering a funny story from a few years ago. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, a funny story about you uh, turning left. I think I know the story and I'll do my best to keep it brief. <laughs> it's another Franz Ferdinand story, Bob, and you were there. So I checked in. Uh, well, back before that, I had a meeting with the manager, CERN, um, in the December. The tour started in February. And I said to CERN, I, I knew quite a lot about Franz Ferdinand. In fact, one of their first shows, opening shows on a big stage, was for, for Morrissey in 04. So, but anyway, went back to, uh, to uh, that's where we sort of first met. Ended up doing this job, went for a meeting with CERN. And I remember, I said to him, you know, would the band have an issue? If I get upgraded, um, I use BA all the time, and quite often, randomly, I'm upgraded. But um, I just want to ask you, you know, if that happens, um, would the band have a problem with it? And he sat and he just thought for a moment. He said, "You know what? It's probably best not to take the upgrade with the guys. They're very democratic." And I arrived at the airport. It was at BA was at Terminal Three for that particular flight. I always remember. I went over to the first class desk. We were traveling. We were booked in business class. And uh, I went in there and the guy said, uh, without me putting my passport down, I must have been late or something. The guy said to me, good evening, Mr. Chapman. How are you? And I said, uh, good evening. And I gave him my passport and he tapped away on his keyboard and he, he looked at me. He said, I've got some very good news for you. 
we've uh, put you up in first class for the entire journey, uh, London, Bangkok, Bangkok, Sydney. And I said, thank you very much. I texted you, where are you? You said you're in the bridge bar with Slouch, come and have a pint. So I made my way there, sat down, we had a pint together. And then one of us suggested going in the lounge where everyone else was, band and crew. So off we walked, we went in there and they had a whole corner, pile of uh, beer tins being stacked up there, which was just Slouch on his own. And um, <laughs> all there sitting around and having a chat. And Alex uh, stood up and he said to me, he said, Steve, um, I'm just going to go and have a shower before the flight, but I'll see you on board. And he turned around and off he went. And I looked at you and Slouch and said, uh, no, you fucking won't. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were upgraded. <laughs> and I didn't see him on there. And Alex, if you ever do hear this, sorry that this is the way you found out that story. <laughs> If you were to buy a ticket for any concert, past or present or artist, who would it be, where, why? If it had to be broken down to one, it's got to be an Elvis Presley show in Las oh. Vegas. It's got to be that. Um, they're iconic shows, but he was at his best then. I love that period. Um, but you know, modern day right now, I've seen some incredible Radiohead shows. Uh, they've all been fantastic. I remember one in particular was on um, Liberty Island. It was outdoors in New York City. And um, I've never heard live audio of that quality in my life. Absolutely stunning. It was the show, it was the In Rainbow show and they had those two uh, videos tubes that hung down and but the audio absolutely stunning and the atmosphere was brilliant so radiohead i mean rem what a band and uh, my favorite band ever is a band called wire i'd go back to i'd love to go back and see those shows of the late 70s steve strange requests from band members anything that stands out it's hard to pull like a single thing out and it's because I think I don't really whatever it is I never think of it as a strange request I just think it's normal and I don't think oh this wouldn't happen uh, you know at home or anything and, and just crack on with it and, and, and get and get it done but there is um, a thing that happened and this didn't happen once it happened twice with two different artists. Even weirder, Bob. It happened in Sydney both times. And I was asked by these two separate artists on two separate occasions to organise them to get their brain x-rayed. <laughs> which I did. And that's pretty much that story. What was the... Uh, I mean, can you go into what was the background? Was it pretty serious or was it? No, no, it wasn't serious at all. I think it's best leaving that one there then, is it? <laughs> it took a whole day and uh, it got done and they got the x-rays and then we cracked on with the tour. <laughs>
yeah, it happened. What's the most absurd pseudonym you've had to use or check somebody in under? Yeah, there's some. There's been some good ones, but um, I guess I can say his name now because he won't be checking in under this name. But when I worked with the Stone Roses, John Squire, to me, chose an absolutely brilliant pseudonym. You'd have to be a Breaking Bad fan, but uh, Jesse Pinkman is pseudonym. And I just thought that it was absolute genius. Of all the names that there were, and let's, let's say there was a billion names to choose from. He came up with that. <laughs> that's my, my favourite, but not absurd. Steve, who would be your unsung hero or heroes on tour? Well, you know, it's a, all these questions have always got multiple answers, but uh, I'm always, uh, I think about the drivers, you know, the, tr the truck and bus drivers on a dedicated tour, but not only that, sort of supply drivers, local freight drivers, that get things to where they need to be at the time they said it would be there. Drivers is a big one, but the, the bus and truck drivers, um, mainly used in Europe, UK and USA, Canada, are driving right through the night, sometimes on real tight schedules, um, to get the people there safely, asleep, you know, all those people asleep, traveling along just a few couple of meters behind them all in their bunks and I think the responsibility is massive and the same for the truck drivers with all that equipment sometimes millions of pounds worth of equipment in those trailers and I think uh, that's a hard job and I think um, without them the shows just wouldn't happen without their knowledge and the way they do things you know, everyone's going to mention the caterers, of course. You know, that's that's an obvious answer. But for me, it's the drivers. And then the other guy, the local promoter reps, some of them have driven through the night. They may have slept for an hour. I've done it. I've done it myself. Sleep for an hour in the service station, in, in your car, and drive to a load-in. And um, those people have to be respected uh, yeah. at every gig. Those reps, they have to tune into the tour. They have to tune into the venue. They have to tune into the their employer. There's a main guy there, always at the top end, that they have to answer to. That's a big responsibility. So, yeah, all those people. Steve, in all those years and all those people in tours, there has to be something. There has to be something that winds you up no end on tour. Amongst all of it, there is something, and it's bags on seats. It's someone's backpack, the 15 kilo backpack with all the um, hard drives in and all the fucking laptops in, on a seat on a bus where someone needs to sit. And uh, the best time, there's, there's, there's optimum times for that. And, and straight after a gig, a lot of people will take their personal belongings out to the bus and they'll, That's dump, very it. True. they'll dump it on, on a seat where someone needs to sit. so uh, that's a problem for me steve what's your least favorite part of touring well i enjoy it all and there's nothing that i really can can pinpoint as something that i don't enjoy or that i hate but there is uh, a situation that comes up for everybody who goes on a tour bus and um it is when you wake up uh, and you need to take a shit. 
and you look at the map in the old days you didn't have a map you'd have to ask the driver where you were and then i used to take a tom tom direction or a satellite to to my bunk for a while a portable one and now we can do it on our phones so you know how far away you are how long it's going to take so when <laughs> um you're in your bunk and you know you need to go and just to explain to anyone who's listening that doesn't know rule number one is that you don't shit on the bus ever 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 and so you lay in there and you see that it's an hour and 20 minutes and um so you don't know whether to get up and sit there in agony at the front of the bus or stay in bed Oh yeah, I mean, and, and with the the road, um, you know, Google Maps or whatever, always is a good a good one. You can see traffic problems up ahead. So you're laying there twenty minutes, 20 minutes and all of a sudden it goes to thirty five. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> and Steve Chapman, on that note, uh, we're going to leave it there. Uh, it's been an absolute scream. Uh, some very funny moments along the way with you and um, stay safe thanks for joining us in the green room and uh, I'll speak to you soon Bob it's been an absolute pleasure it's lovely to see your face lovely to hear your voice and I look forward to the chance when we can hopefully go on tour together again whenever that may be and uh, absolute pleasure thanks for having me and you. Cheers, man. Thank Cheers, you. Buddy. In the Green Room, sponsored by SOS Global Express. Proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID-19 pandemic.